0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: What is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? Uh, what Mr. Cobb is trying to say? An idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks.
2: Right in there somewhere.
1: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October twenty 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. For proof that an idea is a more powerful virus than a virus itself, just look at what happened over the past week. Massive online censorship by the left. As we head into the final weeks of the US election campaign, the left is pulling out all the stops. Censorship is the name of the game. No sooner had we aired our show last week, a show inspired by the ideas and thoughts of Polly St. George on her last YouTube post, than we heard the news that her amazing Polly YouTube channel was unceremoniously terminated by the platform's political editors, and she was not alone. Quote, this account has been terminated due to multiple or severe violations of YouTube's policy-prohibiting content designed to harass, bully, or threaten. End quote. Of course, that wasn't the real reason. It was just another lie, as we shall demonstrate right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. And as always, consider offering your financial support. So, a lot of censorship going on on YouTube these days. Amazingly, the New York Post had its Twitter account disabled after it broke the story about the Hunter Biden scandal, which has implicated Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden in a verifiable and indisputable web of corruption that literally defines the Democratic Party. And by the way, all of the people I've heard who were taken down so far have said that they got the exact same takedown notice from YouTube that was received by the amazing Polly. Again, this account has been terminated due to content designed to harass, bully, or threaten. Never once can I cite any example or instance of any of the banned YouTubers I know or follow harass, bully, or threaten anyone. And as always, with the projections of the left, I can cite innumerable instances of harassment, bullying, and threatening of the YouTubers themselves. YouTube's warning itself is a confession that the ideas expressed by Pauli and others are threatening. Of course, to those issuing the warning. Of course they are, to the ideology of the left. Challenging a person on the left to justify his position or to answer the question why is considered harassment or bullying by the left. When they say designed to harass, bully, or threaten, what they mean is that the ideas to which they object were designed to persuade and to change people's minds, and therein lies the design. Many people believe that what the left is afraid of is facts. No, they're not. Remember, to the left, facts don't matter and never have. What the left fears most is ideas. Any process of thought or of thinking that is aimed at uncovering the truth, not just the facts. Facts can be manipulated to tell any narrative and have that narrative accepted so long as the narrative doesn't have any competition. For example, let's just pretend that the so-called COVID-19 case numbers are indeed factual, which we objectively know they're not, but let's just pretend. Now, an honest and truthful narrative would immediately assure us that cases are irrelevant to any pandemic, threat of disease or death. But instead... No narrative is offered accompanying these case reports other than an unspoken implication that these are indeed reports of pandemic levels of COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths. It's all done by vague association and no attempt is ever made to securely connect the dots. On the front page of the London Free Press last week, one of the leading stories was that there was one fatality attributed to COVID-19 and that patient was 91 years old. Front page news. So much for the official narrative. Of course, all this is happening on the heels of a political pandemic that the vast majority of people still seem to believe has something to do with a flu virus based solely on the steady stream of misinformation fed to them by the left and by the mainstream media. The thing to understand about censorship is that those who wield it are objectively evil because they are the ones concealing the truth and who are invariably wrong. Otherwise, censorship would not be necessary. If something's not true, then simply refute it in an open forum. You don't have to censor it. As I've illustrated many times in the past on this show, all censorship aims only to censor the truth, for there's nothing to fear from fiction or from error. And by evil, I mean that life is of no value to those on the left. The politicians and bureaucrats who are continually forcing lockdowns and mask mandates are all sociopaths from everything I've seen and heard them say. And all of them cloak their antisocial sickness under the guise of altruism and a concern for life and safety. And, you know, it's the most difficult thing in the world for an honest person to even consider, let alone accept. Yet both history and the current state of much of the world perpetually attests to this fact. There's a lot of heartfelt soul-searching exploding among many of my favorite bloggers and YouTubers. Soul-searching about the souls of others. They are not the first to have done so, though they obviously feel as if they are. But they're in good company, as we shall soon learn, because this path has been walked many times before in history, and maybe we can learn something from that. Here's Dan Dix from his October 15th Press for Truth report on the massive YouTube purge immediately followed by none other than the Amazing Polly reacting to having her YouTube channel removed. This is Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth with breaking news today. A massive purge is underway on YouTube as they just deleted hundreds of channels today. Some, just to name a few, are X22 Report, SGT Report, Just Informed Talk, The Amazing Polly and world alternative media
2: the
0: reason for this video is that there's been another huge youtube purge and i was part of this purge today my channel is gone all the work uploaded on there obliterated i don't even have the account i can't use the account to comment on anyone else's posts or anything like that so i'm gone from youtube but so are so many others. I'm going to put a list up here right now instead of naming them all. So it's going to be there for a minute while I talk. Uh, Like millions upon millions of subscribers have just lost access to some of the people that brought meaning or comfort or information into their lives some accounts were really huge. All the accounts were quite big, uh, as far as I know. And there's probably more that aren't on this list that have yet to be discovered. So my uh, heart goes out to everybody who just experienced this. I do imagine that most of the people involved, myself included, expected this, um, have kind of wondered (laughs) for a long time how they survived this long. I certainly wondered that. I don't know how I got away with what I got away with for as long as I did, but they are on an all out censorship binge right now. I don't know if you heard, but yesterday they censored the New York Post, the New York Post outright from Twitter. And in a sudden fit of outrage about censorship, a lot of the I wouldn't say mainstream, but the mainstream alternative voices all got together and um, freaked out about the fact that the New York Post had been censored and they should, of course. But the irony in all of this is that those people, um, those people are not so far speaking out about the massive YouTube purge and the people who got purged this time in the YouTube purge were people who already knew a lot of the news that's currently breaking about the Bidens and the news that got the New York Post censored. Do you see what I'm saying? it's It made me realize something that it's it's all a ruse, all of it. All of it's a clown show, all of it's theater. I knew that somewhat, but watching the mainstream pundits and even the next tier down journalists and media talk about the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden news, and the subsequent censoring of it, as if this is brand new, is a little nauseating. I don't think it would be quite as nauseating if they also were outraged about the YouTube purge, but so far they aren't. And this makes me understand something. It makes me understand that they are driven by their pride. Pride above everything else. Pride above truth. Pride above loyalty to their fellow truth seekers pride they they want to cling to their credibility and i understand the reasoning behind that i do but but i don't support it it's pride it's fear it's worldliness it's clinging to something other than the truth it really is when you get right down to it. Because I believe if you don't go all the way, then what are you doing? You're just installing a a different group of liars, just supporting a, a different level of lying. I am so heartened by being deleted by YouTube. This sounds crazy, but let me confess something to you for, um, I don't know how long, a couple of months, I have been really struggling to keep up my YouTube channel in the vein that it was going because I realized something. I realized that facts, I mean, maybe they are as addictive as drugs in some ways. People crave new facts all the time. And I was a pusher of facts and this worked and was good and is good. And I think positively impacted a lot of people. And I I tell you, I am so grateful to have been able to be a part of that, but Weeks ago, I, I discovered um, a man named Derek Prince, and I don't want anyone to think I'm an acolyte of Derek Prince. I don't know much about him at all, but I was in the bathtub, actually, and I was listening to a sermon, and uh, he, he said something that changed my life. I think it really did change my life, and it probably, it, it wasn't him. It was him re- referring to scripture. And explaining something that I never thought of before. I didn't know. He was talking about the end times and he was talking about the grand delusion. Now, some of you I know aren't into the Bible um, and I certainly am not at all well-versed in the Bible. There comes a time when God will intervene and he will make it impossible for anybody, but the elect or the remnant to understand the truth, to see the truth. They can't see it anymore. I didn't know this was part of scripture and it hit me so, so hard for a number of reasons. One of them is because I myself have been trying to open people's eyes for, you know, 15 years at least, and really I've gotten nowhere. As this awakening globally has, has gained steam since Trump was elected and called out the fake news, since Q came along, um, as the awakening has accelerated and it has, I've been very, very heartened for a long time. And then came sort of the next wall where, where a lot of people had woken up. And a lot of new truth tellers came on the scene, and it's been an explosion and fantastic. But we hit a wall at some point, COVID probably, where the masks are a very obvious demonstration of how many people are not awake. And this has disturbed a lot, a lot of us. I get so many letters and messages and read so many tweets and other posts and hear so many people say that it doesn't matter what they say to their loved ones or their colleagues. It doesn't matter how many facts they present or how clearly these facts are presented or how much evidence mounts up. They are at a brick wall when they try to share this truth with so many of the people in their lives. And I also hear a lot of people saying that they are their, the only one at their workplace, the only one, besides maybe one family member in, in their whole circle, that, that is aware of the truth or that can even see the truth. I hear this message a lot, granted it's not everyone. Some people live in remarkably awakened families from what they tell me, and that's fantastic. It really is fantastic. Um, But the message of being unable to present facts and have people understand them is, is pervasive right now. And here are the verses. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When I read that Or heard Derek Prince read it. I understood something that I never understood before, and that is that God, in His mercy, gave us plenty of time to stop being lazy and ignorant. And there came a point, or there would come a point, and now we've probably passed it, where God was going to steal the ability to discern the truth from people and he has, I believe he has explain why we're seeing so many masks. Explain why family members will not trust their own kin instead of the corrupt authorities. Explain to me why we can look at the same scenario as, as the person next to us, exact same scenario, and they can't see the truth. It's the strong delusion. This is biblical.
1: Yes, it is biblical. But more than that, it's epistemological, which doesn't make it any less biblical. (laughs) The reason people can both be looking at the same thing and yet not see eye to eye is because of the simplicity of the differing definitions they use to think with. If one person sees capitalism correctly as an economic form of freedom freedom from coercion, and another person has been taught that capitalism is the exploitation of the poor and all of the other Marxist falsehoods regarding capitalism, then they too are living in a biblical parallel on the Tower of Babel, where they can no longer communicate with each other because they're incapable of speaking the same language. And what's the big controlling COVID-19 definition of our day? It's so simple it's sickening. It is the word case. The people on the right of the debate understand that a case is merely a measurement, as often false as not, of some particle of a coronavirus in someone's system. It's a nothing. It's not associated with either disease or even with the mildest of symptoms. The person with a case can be 100% asymptomatic. The people on the left believe that a case is some kind of evidence of severe illness, hospitalization, or death. And you can extrapolate this principle almost infinitely when it comes to this very phenomenon, ideas. And therefore, common knowledge and understanding cannot become ideas without clear concepts that relate to reality and are subjected to a process of reason. And we still haven't gotten past the simple polarity of left and right, for heaven's sakes. But the left has no interest in defining its terms. That's because the left is completely divorced from reality. Thanks in part to attempting to think with unreal definitions, and in part to sinister intentions to force its irrationality on rational people. The left sees any attempt to connect it to reality as a threat, because it is, to their ideology, which is why the YouTube notices announcing the censorship of platforms refer to threats made by the person being censored even though they have not a single example of any real threat which would be a threat to life liberty or property and guess who's making that threat but there's really a larger question or issue at stake here what is it about so many majorities that drives them to self-destruction even as others around them are shining a light on how to avoid it This is a moral dilemma being faced by many a YouTuber, podcaster, blogger, writer, or broadcaster on the right. What's wrong with people? Well, as fate would have it, this past week I was going through many of the books I have on my office bookshelves, and I was surprised to find my copy of a book I'd thought was placed in storage at another location. I've shared passages from this book with our listeners before, but when I reviewed what I had highlighted with yellow highlighter in my copy... The hair on the back of my neck practically stood up, as I saw the words in an entirely different light, as a perfect description of what we are experiencing today. Listen, Little Man was written by Willem Wright in the summer of 1946, and was based on his experiences prior to World War II and beyond, a contemporary of Sigmund Freud. Reich was continually subjected to public ridicule for his theories and ideas on everything ranging from UFOs to cancer treatments and research into human sexual behavior. During his life, Reich experienced the very phenomenon we are currently experiencing under the guise of a COVID-19 pandemic, and which is in fact a pandemic of fascism. For as long as I recall, I've been publicly making the observation that Canada today is in the same political state as was Germany in the 1930s, and what you're about to hear is haunting. And if I were to repackage Reich's message that I'm about to share with you, I would say that the little man he describes throughout history is a perfect description of the psychology of the left. So here is Reich speaking to someone he calls the little man, and I quote, I'm afraid of you, little man, very much afraid. I haven't always been so. I myself was a little man among millions of little men. Then I became a scientist and psychiatrist. I learned to see how very sick you are and how dangerous in your sickness. You'd have overcome the tyrants long ago if you'd been inwardly alive and sound. In the past, your oppressors sprang from the upper classes of society, but today they spring from your own ranks. You have no eye, no feeling for the truly great man. And here I think of Donald Trump. Think of this. His character, his suffering, his yearning, his fury, and his struggle on your behalf are foreign to you. You are unaware that men and women exist who are inherently incapable of oppressing and exploiting you. Men and women who want you to be free, really and truly free. You dislike such men and women because they are alien to your nature. They are simple and forthright. They value the truth as much as you value trickery. No, you never ask yourself whether your thinking is right or wrong. You ask yourself what your neighbor will say about it, or whether, if you do right, will it cost you money? That's what you ask yourself, little man, and nothing else. After driving the great man into solitude, he tries to understand what makes you take what is given, give what is demanded of you, but never give freely and lovingly. What makes you kick those who are down or on the way down, lie instead of telling the truth, and persecute not lies, but the truth. Little man, you're always on the side of the persecutors. That is why all great men have been solitary. It's hard to think in your company, little man. One can only think about you, or for your benefit, not with you, for you stifle all big, generous ideas. And when you find something worthwhile in others, you kill it. Little man, you're small, and you want to stay small. You plead for happiness in life, but security means more to you, even if it costs you your backbone or wrecks your whole life. The joke is on you. Invariably, you miss the truth in your own thinking. You could have become the master of your existence long ago if your thinking aimed at the truth. Or maybe, little man, get this, maybe you're a Marxist a professional revolutionary, a future father of some Soviet fatherland. You want to free the world from its sufferings. The misguided workers run away from you and you run after them shouting, can't you see I'm your liberator? Down with capitalism. The truly great man made only two mistakes in his efforts to enlighten you. He believed that you were capable of freedom and capable of safeguarding your freedom once you had won it. And his second mistake was to proclaim you, the proletarian, a dictator. You shout, hurrah, hurrah, or you play cards, or you bellow at a fight, or you slave away in a factory or mine, but you never offer to help your helper. And I'll tell you why. Because at the beginning of his labor, the discoverer has nothing to offer but ideas. But you don't content yourself with not helping. You harass him and spit at him. In the meantime, the discoverer has managed to convince a good many people that his discovery has practical value. You don't believe it until you see it in the paper, because you don't trust your own eyes and intelligence. How long will you refuse to see that your pussyfooting procrastination is costing millions their lives? You put security before truth. You fritter away your freedom. You think the end justifies the means, however vile. I tell you, the ends is the means by which you achieve it. Today's step is tomorrow's life. But you, little man, abuse the freedom conferred on you by democratic institution. You do your best to destroy these institutions instead of giving them a firm root in your daily life. Your thinking is short-sighted, little man. You can see no farther than from breakfast to lunch. Because you have no memory for things that happened 10 or 20 years ago, you're still mouthing the same nonsense as 2,000 years ago. Worse, you cling with might and main to such absurdities as race, class, nation. Now, of course, in this context, nation referred to the National Socialism of Reich's time, not to sovereignty as such. I've never participated in party meetings or political conference because all they do is shout down with the main point and hooray for incidentals. You simply fail to realize that hope must spring from your own understanding. You pump hope only into yourself, never out of yourself. That little man is why, considering the utter rottenness of your own world, you call me an optimist. And yes, I am an optimist, full of the future. How is that possible? I'll tell you, end quote. And with that thought in mind, we'll return to continue Rice's narrative of how he believes that is possible right after these more contemporary thoughts on the same theme. On this side of our bumper, Dr. Vernon Coleman, in his October 16th brand new tube posting, reminds us that, well, things will get a lot worse before they get a lot worse. <laughs> Followed immediately by David Icke as he was heard at a Vancouver rally for freedom last weekend. And on the return side of our bumper, More from the amazing Polly, honestly speaking, as she always does.
2: You may have had a little difficulty finding my videos recently. Indeed, the whole brand new Tube platform was out of commission for a while. The creatures who live in the dark forgot to take their tablets, went a little potty, did a little quiet hacking, and brand new Tube was taken down for a while. Actually, I'm not surprised that the channel's been attacked. It's now the go-to channel for doctors who want to speak the truth about COVID-19. The attackers will doubtless be back. They have much to protect. There's a lot of lying and deceiving going on, of course. Politicians, reporters, TV presenters and scientists are lying, distorting and burying vital truths. They're suppressing vital information to which every citizen is entitled. They claim that COVID-19 is becoming a greater threat. So where's the evidence? The death totals, the only figures which matter, have hardly risen and they're using all sorts of trickery to make the figures look worse than they are. Who gave governments the authority to use taxpayers' money to hire psyop specialists to work against the voters? Who gave the British government the authority to use the British army to oppress and suppress the citizens of the UK? Why are people so obedient, so cowardly and so terrified? Because they misunderstand the reality, perhaps. Brainwashed? Why are many young, healthy men such cowardly, compliant, ignorant wimps? Is it because they don't have the guts? Or because they're too stupid to ask questions? Or because they fell for the trickery and the deceits? I look at gutless, ignorant, slavish mask wearers with a mixture of pity, anger and contempt. Pity because they're destroying their own health. Anger because they're endangering mine. And contempt because they're betraying themselves. Someone I know well is sensitive, nervous and full of fear but she knows the masks are a distraction damaging to everyone who wears them and to our society and so she shops without a mask. That takes real courage, bravery worth a medal. When people say that things are going to get worse they usually sweeten the thought with the addition before they get better. But we can't do that this time. Things are just going to get worse and worse and worse unless unless we keep fighting with all our strength every hour of every day. There are many brave people fighting. Professor Dolores Cahill, Dr Colin Barron, who's just done a video on masks, Richie Allen, Spiro Scoras, Pierre, Piers Corbin, Amazing Polly, Butt Butter, Brand New Tube, UK Column, and celebrities such as Van der Man Morrison. There are many, many more I'll mention another time. Dignity, belief and strength of purpose are qualities naysayers and hackers never understand. Those who don't speak up against the totalitarianism that's controlling our world are as bad as the appeasers who stayed silent in Germany in the 1930s. The mask wearers have betrayed their ancestors and themselves. Those who force pointless, potentially harmful testing on innocent citizens are as guilty as concentration camp guards who when in the dock at Nuremberg whinged that they were just doing what they were told to do. This isn't some temporary upset. We're in a fight for our lives, our freedom, our future, and our very souls. Unless we put a stop to it.
3: My pleasure to introduce to you the man, the myth, the legend, David Ayer! <laughs> what is freedom freedom people think is something that we must demand something we must uh, say we must be given when in fact freedom is who we are it's what we are it's what we've always been and when say, we must take our freedom back, no, no, we must simply stop giving it away. Because that's what we've been doing throughout human history, and that is why the few throughout that same history have always controlled the many, because the many give the power to authority, that recycle it back, at which point the many think the authority has power over them, when that power is simply that which the many have given to the few. And it looks a, a challenging task. And it is, when we face what is happening around the world, a challenging task in that, what do we do? Well, the what we will do or must do to turn this around is very simple. We must invoke the power of no. The power of ceasing to obey authority when the reason for those impositions is nothing more than mass enslavement. So what we do, simple, what's not simple is getting people to do it.
0: I believe I'm supposed to go in this direction, speaking more to the psychology, how they are deceiving us. Because the, the bottom line here is, we are inundated with information and data points all day every day now. And many of them are untrue. And some of them are half true. Facts at this point, while obviously very important are not as important I don't think as learning how to discern truth from lies and how do you do that I don't purport to have you know special wisdom in this area but I am very very practiced for very various reasons my personal experience in my life and my studies combined have guided me to certain ways, I think, of figuring out who to trust and who not to trust. This is big and uh, like really grandiose of me saying this, but but I don't mean to say that I'm an expert at it. I just want to share what I have learned through psychology, through personal experience, and through scripture at times and allegory, movies, comparisons, situational comparisons in life. That's the direction I'm going to go publicly. So discernment, who to trust. Above all, I'll tell you who to trust. It's you. It's you. You have to trust you. And how can you trust your own judgment? It's by building up your virtue and your character that will help you so much. I think in determining who else is like on your level or motivated by good rather than by ego, by ego, by a fear of not coming off as credible. I think that that world is dying along with the fake experts. How could it not? How can you even say what credibility is in a world of lies? So my aim is just to, 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 to target truth and not so much truth, honesty, honesty, because anybody can be tricked. So the thing is, I want to figure out who's honest. I want to figure out how to populate our institutions and our media and our entertainment world and our neighborhoods with honest people, honest people, it's the only thing that's going to solve it. And sometimes in this crazy upside down world, honest people are judged to be non-credible. Sadly, sadly.
1: You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And in making a statement about honest people being judged non-credible, she could have been talking about the dilemma faced by Willem Reich in his day. Now, we left him before the break promising to explain why he's an optimist regarding the little man, which could be an individual or collective from any period in history. And there are some very deep and serious lessons to be learned here from the experience of someone who's already gone down this path of self-destruction. And I quote, One day I opened my eyes and looked you straight in the face. At first I felt a surge of contempt and hatred. But little by little I learned to let my understanding of your sickness counteract my hatred and contempt. It is dangerous to be with you. In your company a man cannot remain faithful to the truth without fear of calumny and violence. That's why I withdrew, not, I repeat, from your future, but from your present, not from your humanity, but from your inhumanity and meanness. I'm still prepared for any sacrifice, but only for life, not for you, little man. It was only recently that I saw the enormous mistake I made 25 years ago. I had been devoting my life to you in the belief that you were life itself, that you were hope and integrity, that you were the future. Many true and upright men have sought life in you, and all have perished. When this became clear to me, I resolved not to die a victim of your narrowness and smallness, and I no longer confuse you with the force that I sense in myself and looked for in you. Only if I distinguish your character and behavior, little man, clearly and sharply from those who are truly alive, shall I be able to make a great contribution to the security of life and to your future? It takes courage to disavow you. That I know. I have no desire to become a little big man through you, as your contemptible leaders have done. We've caught on to you, little man. We've looked behind your pathetic mask and seen through your pleas for sympathy. We want you to build the future with your work and achievement. We don't want you to replace a bad tyrant with one who's still worse. A time will come when you won't even understand how you were able, in these 4,000 years of unculture, to do all the things that you have done. Why shouldn't I listen to a nice little utopia? And anyway, who am I to have an opinion, you say? Well, just be still. You're hiding behind the myth of the little man because you're afraid of getting into the stream of life and of having to swim, if only for the sake of your children and grandchildren. You have an opinion of your own, and in the future you will regard it as a disgrace not to know it, not to express it and stand up for it. But what will public opinion say about my opinion? I'll be crushed like a worm if I express my own opinion. Well, what you call public opinion, little man, is the aggregate of all the opinions of little men and women. Every little man and every little woman has inside him a sound opinion of his own, and a particular kind of unsound opinion. Their unsound opinions spring from the fear of the unsound opinions of all the other little men and women. That is why sound opinions don't come to light. Well, Welcome to 2020. You ask for guidance and advice, little man. For thousands of years, you have had guidance and advice. Good and bad. Not bad advice, but your own smallness is to blame for your persistent wretchedness. I could give you good advice, but in view of the way you think and are, you wouldn't be able to convert it into action for the benefit of all. I know you're a decent, industrious, cooperative animal, comparable to a bee or an ant, all I've done is to lay bare the little man in you who has been wrecking your life for thousands of years. You are great, little man, when you are not mean and small. Your greatness, little man, is the only hope we have left. You're great when you attend lovingly to your trade, when you take pleasure in carving and building and painting and sowing and reaping in the blue sky and the deer and the mountain and the morning dew, in music and in dancing, in your growing children and in the beautiful body of your wife or husband when you go to the planetarium to study the stars, to the library to read what other men and women have thought about life. You're great, Mother, when you lull your baby to sleep, when with tears in your eyes you pray fervently for his future happiness, and when hour after hour, year after year, you build this happiness in your child. Anyone who's fighting for the safeguard of life, and the protection of our children must necessarily oppose red, as well as black, fascism. Not because they both have a murderous ideology, but because they make cripples, puppets, and moral idiots of living healthy children. Because they exalt the state over justice, lies over truth. Those who are truly alive are kindly and unsuspecting in their human relationships and consequently endangered under present conditions. They assume that others think and act generously, kindly, and helpfully in accordance with the laws of life. This natural attitude, fundamental to healthy children as well as to primitive man, inevitably represents a great danger in the struggle for a rational way of life as long as the emotional plague subsists, because the plague-ridden impute their own manner of thinking and acting on their fellow men. A kindly man believes that all men are kindly, While one infected with the plague believes that all men lie and cheat and are hungry for power, in such a situation the living are at an obvious disadvantage. When they give to the plague ridden, they are sucked dry, then ridiculed and betrayed. This has always been true. It's high time for the living to get tough, to stand courageously by the truth. There is ground for hope in the fact that among millions of decent, hard-working people, There are only a few plague-ridden individuals who do untold harm by appealing to the dark, dangerous drives of the armored average man and mobilizing him for political murder. Anyone who wants to safeguard the life force from the emotional plague must learn to make at least as much use of the right of free speech that we enjoy in America for good ends as the emotional plague does for evil ones. Granted equal opportunity for expression. Rationality is bound to win out in the end. That is our great hope. And quote. Notice how we've come full circle. Equal opportunity for expression is the cure to the pandemic of fascism, COVID-19. And free expression was the general environment following World War II up until recent days. And just look at the Western values and prosperity that resulted. But unfortunately the fascists have returned. Here's Dave Cullen from his October 16th bit shoot post mulling over the difficulty of dealing with the little man, whom he has given the nickname Joe Normie.
4: Okay, so this is probably not going to be all that popular for me to say, but boy oh boy, we're going to have to do whatever it takes. We're going to have to redouble our efforts in trying to reach Joe Normie. We're going to have to... Um, And I know a lot of people go, ah, Joe Normie. He'll never wake up. Well, you might be right. And in fact I think you probably are right, but I I, I gotta tell you if Joe Normie doesn't wake up We're screwed because Joe Normie will drag the rest of us down to hell with him Now if we're going to talk about Joe Normie and trying to red pill him we have to understand the mindset of Joe Normie and the trust that he puts into the mainstream media because the the propaganda messaging is, is really everything you know it's such an easy trick this is why the propaganda has to be so complete now we understand why social distancing stickers have to be everywhere and plexiglass screens and face masks and constant if i turn on this radio in the car right now it won't take me long to find a news channel or even an advertisement about covid or testing or tracing or whatever and the reason it has to be so continuous is because, in, in particular, with this with this crisis, the scam is actually pretty easy to see through if you use your brain. Uh, it's What you see in these Twitter comments from Joe Normie is that he says, uh, You know, this is crazy. The government hasn't got the, the, the virus under control. We need to lock down for weeks. Uh, the, the cases are rising. And they're like, What's changed? Why does Joe Normy buy into COVID-19, but he didn't buy into the fear mongering of swine flu? You know, they've cried wolf more than once. So he should have been extra skeptical this time around. Well, the reason is because Joe normy he may have gotten things right in the past in his judgment, but the only reason he did was because he took his cues from a media that back then was slightly more honest. In other words, Joe Ormi in general doesn't really think for himself anyway. He just managed to reach a lot of the, the, the correct conclusions because the media used to do its job. And that's, that's really tough to accept because it means that the masses in general don't use their brains. Uh, but I I firmly believe that the only way forward is an awakening, because nothing less than that will be sufficient. So we're in for a much harder battle than. But that, but that's 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 the nature of climbing the mountain. You know, you you always think we're we're closer to the summit now, aren't we? And you look up and go, sh. That's, that's way taller than I thought and then you climb a good bit and you go, wow, we must be pretty close now. You look, oh man, there's so much mountain left. It's this constant reality check, but the real hard work is done by reaching the average Joe one, you know, one person at a time. You know, it is it is that story of the, throwing the starfish back into the sea, to that one it makes a difference. And it might seem, even if it's just somebody who you, you have a conversation with uh, randomly on, on the street, and you, you, you're trying to convince them as respectfully as you can be, uh, talking to them about the masks, or talking about, about the cases and going through the data, and offering them, you know, maybe we, need, maybe we need leaflets, maybe we need to be handing things out, and information and brochures. Try to get the public to ask questions themselves and to be inquisitive. For, again, the shallowness of, of their knowledge of politics is just uh, Trump and Hitler. <laughs> You know, it's like, what do you think of Trump, Trump? Blame racist. It's worse than Hitler, you know? I mean, this is this is all that's rolling around Joe Normie's head, head, and the fact that it's clear now that he has been fooled by a scam that was tried several times before by the World Health Organization goes to show that he was never I mean, to what degree was he really aware of the world around him? Because he seems to view it entirely through the lens of a media funnel. And that's the extent. The terms and phrases, the the sort of, um, the Overton window and the range of ideas within it and everything that goes on, the discussions that are had within that, that's the domain and that is the capacity and extent, of his understanding of reality. And so it's about trying to pierce that. And like I say, maybe that requires us to go door to door with leaflets or have difficult conversations with friends and family and try to reach out to them again um, in, a, in a nice way, in a way that doesn't provoke any kind of negative reactions. Because again, part of the defense mechanism of propaganda in people's minds, it, it elicits anger, you know. Uh, they're comfortable with this level of fear because they believe that there's a sort of Protective blanket that the government is offering them If I just simply follow the instructions, there's there's a comfort like just like there's a comfort in sort of repetition People know what to do they know what to do and they, they what they need to do is wear a mask and stand on circles apparently and wash their hands obsessively
1: When Dave Cullen cited Joe Normie for expressing a mindless reaction to Trump that immediately equated Trump to Hitler, don't assume that that mindless approach to politics applies only to the uneducated. (laughs) You might be surprised to learn it also applies to objectivists. You would think that all advocates of a philosophy explicitly laid out by its discoverer, Ayn Rand, would all be on the same general page with regard to almost every political issue. But not so. About a month ago, Robert Vaughn forwarded to my attention an excerpt by Harry Binswanger, a well-known objectivist, who wrote something that Robert called a disappointment. And he wrote, quote, A vote for Trump sends a message that it's okay to jettison rational discourse in American politics. If you think the Democrats are too tribal, and they are, consider Black Lives Matter, that is all the more reason not to permit such tribalism in the Republicans. What the country cannot survive is make-believe as the standard of political discourse. We cannot survive lock her up and all that it entails. We cannot survive presidents who openly admire totalitarian dictators and openly signal that they would like to stay in power without limits. What we cannot survive is irrational power-lusting bullies masquerading as pro-American, pro-rule-of-law capitalists. Thus, this election is fundamentally a referendum on Trump, and more abstractly and importantly, on what Trump represents. What does Trump represent? Clearly, it's not ideas. A Trump win would be a tactical victory for the right. The next four years would be materially better. But it would be a strategic loss. End quote. Unbelievable. And then there is the outrageous and embarrassing comments made by so-called objectivist Yaron Brook, who has appeared on this show and spoke to a Freedom Party of Ontario crowd at the University of Toronto a few years back. Just listen to this. Okay, let me just
5: say, those of you who apologize for Donald Trump, please never use the word objectivist associated with yourself, because you cannot be objectivists. You are not objectivists if you apologize for this guy. And you are not doing anybody a favor by selling out, selling out the most fundamental ideas that we believe in. For the sake of what? Popularity? For the sake of defeating the left? You are sellouts. You are the fifth column within objectivism. You are what will destroy objectivism, and will ultimately will be on you if America declines If America disappears, if America succumbs to either the wackos of the left or the wackos of the right.
1: See, it's all my fault. (laughs) It's all on me. Brooke hasn't even figured out that all the wackos are on the left, and and he's proclaimed himself to be one of them. Claiming that he represents the ideas of objectivism is ironic. Not so long ago, Brooke appeared on Gad Sads' show and openly admitted that he is no philosopher and doesn't really understand Rand's philosophy. He just applies it to economics, which is his strong point. I'll give him that. But his opposition to national sovereignty and to many of Trump's make America great again ideas, I could see had Gad Saad shaking his head in dismay. It was a rather sobering revelation. But contrast what the Ayn Rand Institute's Yaron Brook just said with the official heir of Ayn Rand's philosophy, who happened to celebrate his 87th birthday this past week, and during an interview on his birthday, made the following comment after a long discussion that had nothing to do with politics. Yes, I am voting for Trump. That's it. Okay. (laughs) He's voting for Trump.
4: Well, I think you got a big reaction thing, but uh, it was mostly, it was. I think most people here agree with you. I,
5: I'm not arguing, but I heard somebody say, no objectivists would vote for Trump. And I'm still steaming over that. So I'm trying to publicize the fact that whoever said that is
1: crazy. <laughs> hmm. I wonder who he could be talking about. Robert Vaughn also forwarded to my attention a great comment by Richard G. on that Harry Binswanger post. And this is what Richard G. said, quote, It amazes me. After 35 years of watching objectivists pine for someone to vote for, who was neither a socialist nor a religious altruist, we finally get a president who is essentially a pagan, pro-wealth, pro-money, non-altruist type, who does not preach sacrifice but greatness, who does not see heroism in McCain-style martyrdom but in deeds and winning, who keeps his campaign promises, who never damns business, who extols American self-interest, who guts regulations, who ends eternal wars, who kills ISIS, brings troops home, who calls out the comprachicos, the media, who is open to gay people, a president who spent 50 years effing building skyscrapers, and these same objectivists are still complaining, end quote. (laughs) Boy, perfect. But here's the topping on the cake, forwarded to my attention by Paul McKeever a couple of days ago. From the horse's mouth herself, Ayn Rand, as written in her October 21st, 1962 column in the Los Angeles Times. Quote, For decades, the liberals have regarded nationalism as an arch-evil of capitalism. They denounced national self-interest. They permitted no distinction between intelligent patriotism and blind racist chauvinism, deliberately lumping them together. They smeared all opponents of internationalist doctrines as reactionaries, fascists, or isolationists, and they brought this country to the stage where expressions such as America first become terms of opprobrium. Quote. So as you can see, Rice's little man can be found anywhere among those not conscious of either the facts or a philosophy, and some of them call themselves objectivists too. Yep, we've got a big mountain to climb ahead of us. So to all those unconscious and non-thinking people who will certainly continue to wear masks, social distance, or otherwise jump through every hoop some bureaucrat or politician tosses in front of them, remember it's your jail and you built it. And you're welcome to live in it for the rest of your lives. But don't drag the rest of us into your horror story. Stop trying to belittle man us, as you have yourself. And remember, we haven't forgotten that there's always a bit of little man in each of us, which is why the struggle to do what's right is always so challenging. And it always begins with a discussion on the next broadcast of Just Right, where you are invited to join us again next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color color to black and white Under the clothes,
2: Everything will be alright People
3: always ask me, I've been asked a lot of reason, recently what gives me hope and it's the, a lot of the stuff that uh, I get written to me is brilliantly written by people who aren't writers. I mean it, it's really extraordinary that there's this real uh, in working intelligence out there that seems to be buried under a pile of shit.